0: Now we're joined in the studio by Antishuk and the Fine Gael leader, Leo Varadkar. Antishuk welcome to the programme. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you and ha- happy new year to you and, and to all your listeners. And happy new year to you too. Now we're heading into a very busy uh, political year. We're going to have referendums in March. There'll be the local and European elections uh, in June. Are you open to the prospect of a general election this year too? Well, I, I'm I'm not planning one. Uh, it is, of course,
1: the Taoiseach's prerogative to uh, seek a dissolution of the doll and uh, therefore to call an election, but um, I'm not planning an early election. Uh, my priority is to focus on uh, doing what the people want us to do, and that's building more homes. Uh, it's helping families with the cost of living, putting more money back in people's pockets. Um, it's focusing on law and order building safer and stronger communities uh, and also safeguarding the economic progress that we've made, which we uh, shouldn't take for granted. So that's my focus as Taoiseach, is the focus of the government. And
0: um, we'll fight elections when they come. And when you say that you're not planning one, is that to say that you would prefer to see the government run its full term into 2025? No, it means I'm not planning one.
1: I'm focusing on, on the work of government. Um, you know, last year we built uh, 30,000 new homes to... Um, double the number that were built when I first became Taoiseach back in 2017 and we're seeing first time buyers um, buying homes now at a rate that we haven't seen since I was in my 20s um, but there's still a huge deficit and a huge backlog of investment that we needs to take place in housing and uh, I want to see that increase next year um, we are now seeing inflation come down which is really encouraging um, but still a lot of families okay. struggling with the cost of living so people will see in the next few weeks the impact of the decisions made in the budget taxes are going down uh, pension pay going up. Uh, these are the things that I'm focused on. Not, I haven't set a date, nor do I have a date in my mind okay. for the next general election.
0: Are you ruling out an election this year? Um, not
1: planning an election I oh. uh, have no date in my mind. I, I, I'm not well, quite sure how many, how many ways I can answer this question for you. But, but, well, um, yes or
0: no, are you ruling it out this year? I'm not planning an re-election. Okay. Well, what do you think about the prospect of a, a June uh, super-election with the locals, Europeans and general election all on the one day? Um, not planning for that. Um, we are
1: planning for local European elections, which will happen uh, in, the, in early June. Um, Fine Gael had a really good uh, set of elections back in 2019. We we won the European elections, uh, five MEPs, more than Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin combined. Um, got 25% in the local elections, gained 20 seats. Um, going to be uh, more challenging, I think, uh, this time uh, in June, uh, but we're going to work hold, to hold our own. Uh, we have really good candidates uh, in the field. Almost all our local election candidates are now selected. Uh, they're working hard on the ground, taking nothing for granted. And, of course, the party is very well funded as well, which is important going into a period where we have a lot of referendums and a lot of elections. And we'll have the Limerick mayor vote as well, of course, Okay, which is, and, which is and, going to be interesting. Uh,
0: in relation then to the general election, whenever that will be, mm. um, and it'll have to be before March of next year, at least eight of your own party's TDs are not going to stand in that general election it, it's not a good sign, is it, when so many senior figures, many of them young uh, um, people as well in your own party, have decided not to run. Is it a sign that perhaps there are people who are throwing in the towel before the contest has even been started? No, I, I don't believe so. You know, they all have their reasons. Uh, sometimes it's
1: age, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's other reasons, more personal reasons as well. Um, you will, you're will. you starting to see other parties seeing retirements now as well, and uh, number of independents not running again as well. Uh, And that's normal in the political process that people uh, will move on for all sorts of different reasons. Um, I remember the last election. We actually had a lot of TDs. It's forgotten now. We had a lot of TDs who didn't run for re-election last time. Uh, Enda Kenny retired. Alan Dillon held that seat in Castlebar. He's now the party chairman. Uh, Michael Noonan didn't run again. Uh, Ciarán O'Donnell won that seat for us. He's now a minister. New TDs elected like Jennifer Carroll McNeil, okay. like Neil right. Richmond. Well, we won't name-check
0: them all. And,
1: well, um, one you, you're going to start hearing over the next few weeks because we are starting our selection conventions for general election. The first one will be coming up in Dublin Bay South. Uh, we'll be selecting a candidate there uh, this month. And that's exactly the kind of seat we would be planning to gain back at the next general and election. And when
0: will you have your selection conventions concluded, all of them? Um, not We're not planning to
1: have them all conclude this side of the local and European elections. So we want to have some done um, relatively early on and have a plan for each constituency in April. So, you know, one thing I would expect to see in, in the next local elections is a number of uh, people are now councillors doing extremely well in those elections. And they, if you like, become then the obvious candidate or somebody who could then run, run the general elections okay. for us.
0: Would you like Mairead McInnes to remain on as Ireland's EU commissioner? Uh, look, that's, that's a matter that doesn't arise until um, June or July. Um, we
1: will have European elections uh, in June. And what happens um, when those elections happen uh, is uh, a huge number of jobs at European level then become
0: available. Uh, and we'll be able to survey the situation then uh, and discuss the matters. But as the we government. know that job is becoming available. I mean, is the next commissioner going to be Fianna Fáil's pick?
1: As you know, as I said before, Chris, we, we, we don't have any written agreement on that, um, but it's something that we're going to discuss uh, come uh, come June, July. Nicole M-
0: uh, Martin said that there is a clear understanding that the next EU commissioner would be a Fianna Fáil nominee. And look, that may well be the case, but that's
1: something that we're going to discuss uh, when the situation arises, um, and that'll be summer of next year.
0: I mean, when people hear about these type of deals being done, that uh, rather than choosing the person who's who's at the table, who has the most experience at this uh, present time, that it would go to somebody from, from another party. That all sounds very cosy, doesn't it? I think what's very important uh, is that when you're a small
1: country, and Ireland is a small country, um, that in order to be confident that you're going to have a good position, you are know, the 27 commissioners, you want to make sure that uh, for a small country like Ireland that you have a, um, uh, a strong position. Uh, if you like, at that table, uh, that you want to make sure that uh, whoever your commissioner is, uh, is somebody who's got a really good and really strong CV. And whoever that is, um, you know, I'm confident it's going to be somebody uh, who's got a really good CV.
0: Would Michael McGrath
1: fit the bill? I, I'm not going to get into that. I, I totally understand why you need to ask, ask, ask those questions. Uh, and look, there'll be absolutely nothing more than some people would love. We'll try and create some sort of, sort of fake row here between Fianna Fáil and Finnegale, or between me and Mart- Micheál Martin. There is no route, there's been no decision or discussion on this. Um, We will do that, uh, most likely June, July, when the the situation actually
0: arises. Are you concerned about the prospect of far-right candidates um, winning an electoral foothold in the local or even the European elections?
1: Look, when it comes to any election, um, I'm always up for the fight. Um, I think there is... um, a rise in populism uh, in Ireland and across the world. Um, you've populism of the left uh, as well as populism of the right. Uh, and I think it's um, incumbent on those of us who represent centre ground politics, uh, those of us who uh, represent honest politics, uh, those who appeal to people's uh, better instincts, uh, those who believe in information rather than misinformation. Um, it falls on us uh, to make sure that we make the case uh, and Um, and that we argue for the right policies and we'll do that.
0: Mm. In in the past number of months, as you know, we've had uh, fires or attacks on around 10 properties which were either going to be homes for asylum seekers or which were the subject of unfounded rumour that they were going to be used as, as homes for asylum seekers. The most recent uh, attack was on that former pub in Ring's End and then in Dublin before Christmas you had a fire at a hotel Mm. in Ross Cahill in County Galway. Are are you satisfied that uh, the policing response to these attacks is adequate? We haven't seen anybody brought before the courts, nobody arrested. Well, what I can say
1: uh, is that there are a number of investigations underway. Um, A number of uh, searches have occurred, Uh, people have been questioned uh, and I do expect that there will be arrests and charges in the coming weeks. I spoke to the Minister of Justice about this as recently as yesterday. Uh, Arson is a very serious crime Whatever politi- whatever political beliefs people may have, and people are entitled to their political beliefs, nobody has the right to damage or burn down somebody else's property, and nobody has the right to physically harm uh, another person. So this is a serious crime, uh, and I do expect that there will be arrests uh, and prosecutions. Um, and I want to express a concern. Um, people vandalizing buildings, setting them alight, they can't know for sure that there isn't somebody in that building. It might be somebody who is a security guard, for example, who might be a night watchman. It might be somebody who's a licence to stay there. It might even be somebody who's sleeping rough. Uh, and I've a real concern that not only uh, will we face a situation whereby we're investigating uh, arson, that we may yet be investigating
0: manslaughter or murder. Is permanent security required on those buildings that are earmarked for asylum accommodation now? Well, look, it depends on the building. Obviously, uh, property owners
1: have responsibility to uh, provide security for their own properties and the Guardian have their responsibility as well uh, to provide patrols and all that's being done. Uh, But you saw what happened in one case, uh, you know, a disused school that hasn't been used for years, um, not considered uh, by the government for any form of accommodation, uh, and yet that was burned too. Uh, And I don't think it's practical to have security on every disused building in the country. But what I can tell you uh, is that we're doing all that we can to make sure that we bring disused buildings back into use, Um, not necessarily as accommodation, um, but as community centres for other uses as
0: well. This weekend in Ballinrobe, there are protesters gathering as we speak. Um, uh, They they are attempting to stop a, a hotel being used to accommodate 50 asylum seekers. Is that plan to accommodate asylum seekers in that hotel? Is that going to go ahead or has that been stopped by that protest? Um, well, my understanding
1: from Minister Gorman is that uh, discussions are still ongoing and engagements are still ongoing between uh, the department uh, and uh, between uh, the, the owner, the provider there. Um, I uh, totally acknowledge that people living there have concerns and have fears. It's important that we have information and communication, that people's fears are allayed, uh, that any information they need is given. But I also need to be very clear, uh, nobody uh, in a free society, nobody in a democracy uh, has the right to veto uh, a right to exercise a veto on who moves into their area or their community. And that doesn't just apply to international protection, it applies to traveller accommodation, it applies to women's refuges, which people used to object to before, it applies to social housing, student accommodation. And and, and yet we have
0: one of your own councillors, Councillor Michael Burke in Ballinrobe, who was on social media uh, in in his comments there, said uh, that those proposals to accommodate asylum seekers were a step too far. And when it, when it appeared to him that that decision had been reversed, he said that that was a good result. I mean, do those comments concern you?
1: Well, they don't reflect government policy. Um, have been in contact with Michael in the past couple of days. Uh, I understand his concerns about this issue uh, and um, the fact that he is objecting to what's planned. um, I've said back to him very clearly that the situation we're now facing is that the alternative to providing accommodation centres is people on the streets and we already have 400 people at the moment who we are not able to provide any accommodation for. So this isn't an ideal situation, Uh, we're facing a situation whereby hundreds of millions of people. Are on the move around the world for lots of different reasons, mm. uh, fleeing war, mm. fleeing poverty, but, but fleeing are, are, are oppression. Are your party councillors surprised that that some, that several thousand of those would come to
0: Ireland? Are your party councillors who object to implementing government policy then going to be disciplined? Um, we, we look, we we allow our councillors a lot of leeway
1: when it comes to how they deal with local issues. Um, certainly, what we won't tolerate uh, is any form of racism, uh, any form of misinformation. Uh, We have removed candidates from the ticket before uh, for exactly that Um, and that hasn't occurred in this case, but, uh, you know, we'll be monitoring that
0: situation very closely. What do you think is motivating communities then who say no to accommodating asylum seekers? Do you think it is racism? Look, it depends on, on different circumstances in different
1: places. As I said earlier, uh, a lot of people have fears that we have responsibility to allay. A lot of people are seeking information and we need to give them that information. A huge number of communities around the country, by the way, have accepted uh, and welcomed a lot of people from Ukraine into those communities and also international protection centres. And we shouldn't forget that, uh, including as recently as Ballsbridge, not too far from here, where a new centre is being opened quite soon. Um, what I would say is this, uh, is that... Um, we do have responsibility, I believe, to reassure people uh, that our immigration system in Ireland is rules-based, uh, that we're fair and welcoming to those who come to the country legally, um, but that we're also firm uh, and tough with those who do not. And I think people need that reassurance. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of myths that are being spread uh, initially by the far right, uh, but now unfortunately become quite mainstream uh, and are repeated now, uh, even by mainstream politicians and mainstream journalists. And we have a big job of work to do this year, I think, as a government in um being in charge of this debate and making sure that people get the right information. Because one thing that I think is really important to say uh, is that in the round, immigration uh, and migration for Ireland has been a good thing. Nearly every family experience in Ireland involves migration, whether yes. somebody's moved abroad or somebody who's come from abroad and joined their family. If you go into our hospitals and care homes, you see a very diverse workforce. We wouldn't be able to run our public services without migration. That, that, if you that's, go into so big tech companies, the big pharma yes. companies, they wouldn't be here if it weren't for the fact that we have a mobile workforce. We couldn't afford to invest in, in housing Housing and pensions and education the way we do now if it wasn't for that. But, but when you go Sorry
0: to cut across you, but when you have four hundred and fifty-seven people who, who have come here uh, seeking international protection, who are uh, effectively living on the streets because there is no accommodation for them. Um, the question does have to be asked then that whether the state has the capacity to actually deal with the numbers of people who are arriving here.
1: I don't think there's any limit on... Uh, the compassion of the Irish government, or the state, or indeed Irish people, Um, there are limitations on capacity and that is the reality of the situation. Um, We're trying to provide shelter for everyone uh, who comes here um, but that can be very difficult. Um, Bear in mind the vast majority of people who come to Ireland, whether they're British citizens, whether they're EU citizens, whether they're here with the work permit or with the work visa, uh, they provide their own accommodation Uh, Under international law, when somebody seeks international protection, we have an obligation to provide shelter for them. We do our best to do so, but it's not
0: always possible in all circumstances. Before Christmas, uh, the government introduced restrictions on the entitlement of Ukrainians uh, coming here. Um, They're going to be provided with accommodation for 90 days. After that, if they have no accommodation, um, who will be responsible for housing them? They'll be responsible
1: for trying to find their own accommodation. Uh, and so would it be up to homeless services then if they are homeless? Look, I, I, I don't envisage a situation whereby we're going to um, make people uh, who are in state accommodation become homeless. We, we've an issue, as you know, in direct, direct provision at the moment of people who are, who are overstaying. Uh, so that will be a difficult situation to manage. You know what, I would say this, and this is important to, to bear in mind... Um, About 100,000 people have come to Ireland from Ukraine. Uh, About 80,000 of those are still here. Uh, We've been able to provide accommodation for almost all of those. Uh, A lot have taken up employment, a lot of kids in our schools. Um, It's been an enormous challenge. But I think when we look back on that in 10 or 20 years' time, we'll be proud that as a country that we were able to welcome Mm. so many people from Ukraine uh, into our communities. Um, But bear in mind, you know, if somebody, for example, comes to Ireland from Poland... Uh, some, somebody comes to Ireland from Germany, somebody comes to Ireland from Italy um, and they can do that and they're allowed to work straight away just as the Ukrainians are. Uh, we don't provide uh, accommodation, uh, they are expected to provide their own accommodation. In the case of people coming from Ukraine, because many of them are women and children, we're recognising that the situation is different and we're able to provide up to 90 days accommodation but we can't guarantee anything beyond that and what we're doing is really bringing our offering into line with what will be available, for example, in France or in the Netherlands or Belgium, uh, where people from Ukraine also have the right to go.
0: You will head into this election year as a party, which despite having been in power for 13 years, um, there is record levels of homelessness in this country. 13,514 people homeless, according to figures released on Friday. More than 4,000 children in homelessness. Has that been your government's biggest failure?
1: Well, look, we also have record levels of people in employment, Um, We have record incomes. Uh, We have wages falling for two years now in a row in our health service, 4,000
0: homeless children. It's actually quite a shocking figure, isn't it? It is, uh, and it's uh,
1: not acceptable. Um, And one of the things we have to do, and we will do, uh, is to continue to uh, increase the supply of social housing. We built more new social housing last year than any year since the 1970s, since before I was born. Uh, We're going to do even more this year. And that's the best way, I think, to uh, lift people out of homelessness is make sure that we've got many more social housing options available. But of course, homelessness uh, is a complicated phenomenon uh, and a state in our society. Uh, And I think it is important to say that when we talk about 13,000 people being homeless, these are all people who are provided with emergency accommodation by the state in in different forms, and they're not always the same people. Um, Most people who experience homelessness are, are... just under half of people who experience homelessness are lifted out of it within six months, uh, most uh, within a year. Um, and what we try to do is to make sure that if anyone does experience homeless, homelessness, that is rare, uh, that it is for a short period of time and it's not repeated. And you'll know from the numbers that uh, we're now seeing a spillover effect from migration as well. If you look at those numbers, just over half of people are homeless in Ireland or Irish citizens, nearly half are not. Uh, some of those are not entitled to social housing, for example. And you'll know from those numbers that the biggest cause of homelessness in Ireland um, isn't people being evicted out of private rented accommodation, it's family breakdown. So you have, for example, a situation where there is a house, uh, but the family is now broken into two units, uh, and it can be very complicated to sort those things out. So it is a much more complex picture than maybe sometimes is presented.
0: Can I ask you about the, the cost of homes? Because according to the Society for Chartered Surveyors in a report before Christmas, they said that you would need a combined income of one hundred and €28,000 to buy a family home in Dublin, a three-bed semi uh, in Dublin. Um, Are house prices too high? Well, actually, that applied to new
1: bills only. Uh, And as is often the case, unfortunately, when it comes to housing, uh, these things are often often, often, um, uh, misreported and misclaimed. Um, So the situation is in Ireland is that most first-time buyers, for example, uh, don't buy a new home. Uh, they buy um, a second-hand home, which are generally less expensive for lots of different reasons, particularly because of the building standards. Um, I think what, what we want to see in Ireland is more people being able to buy their own home. Uh, we're seeing a situation now where three, 400 people now every week uh, are becoming first-time buyers. Haven't seen that since the Celtic Tiger period. Really encouraging. Not happening by accident. It's happening because of the increased supply, because of the measures we've taken do, to reduce the cost do, of building. Do you want to see house to prices come down? I'd like to see the ratio of of incomes to house prices come down. And maybe that sounds complicated, (laughs) but it's not. Uh, You know, what people will say is that house prices in Ireland are high and they are high. Um, But you always have to look at how high they are relative to incomes. Uh, And roughly speaking, in Ireland now, um, house prices are roughly seven to eight times The average income, or about four to five times the average household income, because most people buy as a couple, not not as individuals. That's roughly where it was about 20 years ago, believe it or not. But I would like to see that fall. But it's not a case of saying I'd like to see house prices fall by 20 or 30 or 40%, like Sinn Fein has said. I think that would cause more problems than solutions. It would mean a lot of people in negative equity. It would mean probably a reduction in the amount of new homes being built. It would mean fewer mortgages and higher interest rates. What I do want to see happening uh, is incomes rising uh, faster and house prices either staying as they are or not rising as fast. And that's how you achieve affordability in a sustainable way without causing mortgage arrears, negative equity, higher interest rates, people not getting mortgages, all of those things that we've seen before. And I don't want us to go back to that. Okay.
0: Um, we, we know that you're working on plans for an inquiry into the, the handling uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic. What form of, of pandemic inquiry are we going to have and when will it start? Well, uh,
1: we'd expect it to happen this year and to be up and running uh, in the next couple of months. Um, We have draft terms of reference. We're keen to consult with the opposition parties on them uh, and then uh, proceed to establish the inquiry. Um, The purpose of the inquiry will be to examine Ireland's performance in relation to Covid. uh, What was done right? What was done wrong? What could be done better? And crucially, what can be learned uh, should we face a similar public health emergency into the future? Uh, what it won't be about is uh, trying to describe blamed individuals or uh, investigating individual decisions by people. We're not going to go down that road.
0: Will it be a public inquiry?
1: Will it be held in in, in public for people to see? Um, in many ways there'll be the chairman who determines that but there will be a public element to it certainly people who want to be able to say um, and give their test in public uh, that we've facilitated there may be other people who want to do it in private or want to do it in written form so that'll be provided for too um, but I think when it comes to COVID though we shouldn't lose sight of you know some really interesting numbers that came out from the OECD uh, there um, only the other day And that showed that Ireland was one of only nine countries in the developed world that didn't see uh, an increase in excess debts during the pandemic. And we were in the top four. Uh, Only Iceland, New Zealand, and I think it was Norway had fewer debts, uh, excess debts than us. Uh, And that shows that we as a country managed this very well. We didn't get everything right. How could we possibly have, uh, given that there was uh, no um, guidebook to deal with the pandemic? But as a country, we did very well. No excess debts in Sweden either, took a very different
0: approach. They did
1: take a different approach, um, mm-hmm. but there was a higher that uh, they were behind us in terms of terms of, terms of outcomes, um, and also if you look at the economic performance of Ireland, you know we, it's hard for us to believe it here in Ireland but in 2024, there are still countries that are recovering from the cost of the pandemic. Okay. Uh, and, our, and, our economy has entirely recovered and indeed is even bigger than it was back then.
0: And, and on the the, the economy, Tishuk, um, I know the ESRI downgraded its growth forecast for the uh, economy for, for next year, but we have seen, uh, as you mentioned earlier, inflation um, uh, fall back. We also have seen energy prices come back. Mm-hmm. I mean, given those two factors alone, uh, does it mean that this is the last year uh, of the energy credits, uh, Probably, um,
1: I can't say that for certain because energy prices can go can go can go up as well as down. Um, but you know the reason why we brought in the energy credits was because of a big spike in electricity and gas bills. Uh, they are going to continue to be paid. By the way, uh, the four hundred and fifty that we announced in the budget is guaranteed. Um, but if uh, prices continue to fall throughout next year, well, then I wouldn't anticipate it being necessary to repeat uh, those um, those energy credits. What we will see is people's incomes rising, um, pay increases, welfare increases, pension mm-hmm. increases, all kicking in the next few few weeks. Um, I- I- and also taxes coming down and things like, for example, the cost of childcare going down uh, in September, student grants increasing. So there's lots of ways, I think, to help people with the cost of living uh, and put money back in people's pockets, which is what we're doing.
0: Is it your hope that there will be a 30% tax rate uh, in, the, in the next budget?
1: Not in the next budget. Um, what we're doing uh, is progressively increasing the point at which uh, people have to pay the highest rate of tax. So if you go back to uh, 2014 when... Um, Under Michael Noonan, we began our our tax-cutting programme. People had to pay the highest-rate income tax at 33,000. For this year, that's now up to 42,000. So, you know, the average person working full-time Uh, is now paying about 4,000 less in income tax than they would have done 10 years ago on the same income and that shows what we've achieved as a party uh, in really pushing that agenda around putting money back in your pocket, giving you autonomy about how your money should be spent and we have this target of getting to the point where uh, you don't have to pay the highest rate of income tax until you uh, earn 50,000 and then you only pay it on the amount over that.
0: But your your 30% uh, um, target or the 30% Mm -hmm. figure you mentioned before, that's not going to happen now in the, the lifetime of this government?
1: Well, I never said it would, um, no. nor, nor it was ever a party policy, but facts don't matter sometimes. Uh, what is our party policy uh, is that we've set a target of um, getting to the point where nobody has to pay the highest rate income tax until they, pay 50, 000, until they earn €50,000 a year, and then we'd only okay. pay it on the portion of above. Um, we'd like to get to 50000 won't think that will be done by the next budget, but that remains our target, remains our policy.
0: There will be referendums in in March, Taoiseach, on on the Women in the Home clause in the Constitution and on expanding the concept of the family in the Constitution to include durable relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, What does a durable relationship mean? Well, there'll be
1: two ballots uh, happening on the 8th of March. Believe it or not, it's the first time we've gone to the polls since 2020, nearly four years since we've had an election or referendum uh, in Ireland, and there are two proposals. Uh, The first is to modernise the definition definition of the family. Essentially, that's that's just constitutional catch-up. The Constitution protects marriage, it will continue to do so. The Constitution protects the family, it'll continue to do so. But the Constitution, as currently written, says that families can only be based on marriage. Uh, and we're saying that that no longer reflects our modern society. We have families that are based on other durable relationships. That includes, for example, one-parent families. It includes, for example, a family that may be uh, led by a grandparent or it may include, for example, uh, a couple that are cohabiting for a prolonged period of time. Is, is there, in many ways, is there a, it's, it's constitutional catch-up.
0: Is there a definition of a durable relationship?
1: Not not in the constitution, nor is there currently a definition of family, for example, in the constitution, but I think it's clear what we're doing here. Uh, it is constitutional catch-up. It's updating the language in our constitution to reflect the fact that there are families in Ireland that are not solely based on marriage, and the most obvious ones are one-parent families, uh, families led by a grandparent or a guardian. Currently, our constitution doesn't see them doesn't give them the same level of protection uh, that's what we want to change uh, the other proposal is to delete uh, some very old fashioned some very anachronistic language about the role of women uh, having particular duties in the home uh, that is now going to be changed um, to value uh, care within the family uh, and to say that the state must strive to support that uh, and, and indeed the Irish Irish term being used which is you know Dramer being a ladder, which is to strive to continue to climb that ladder, continue to improve uh, conditions for family carers. And that's, uh, I think, an important change.
0: And will will the government be actively campaigning uh, for change here? Uh, Absolutely. Um,
1: uh, I've been involved in a number of major referendum campaigns in my time. Uh, European referendums, uh, the marriage equality referendum, the... uh, referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment during my first term as Taoiseach you can never take these things for granted Okay,
0: now I want to ask you about Ireland's position in relation to a number of international issues the European Council will meet uh, in next month February 1st to decide uh, on on the budget but also on funding for Ukraine that was blocked by Hungary before Christmas Um, if there's still no agreement next month will Ireland um, club together with other European countries and provide funding for Ukraine that way That's an option. Um, I hope we don't have to use that option. Uh,
1: I'd prefer to see this done within the context of the European Union budget. We made a really important decision just before Christmas to begin negotiations with Ukraine and Moldova um, on those countries joining the European Union. Uh, I would like to see us agree at the meeting in February uh, to give Ukraine a financial package and that's really important for Ukraine because Ukraine cannot win this war on its own. It'll be crushed by the uh, greater wealth and power and size of Russia. That's why it needs its allies in Europe and it needs its allies in the US. And what we want to do is not just provide Ukraine with... Uh, a certain amount of money for a few months or for a year. We want to put in place a financial package of 50 billion billion euro in loans uh, and grants, which says to the Kremlin, which says to Russia, uh, that we're going to stand by Ukraine for as long as it takes. And that's what we want to achieve. If we can't do that as a European Union, well, then it probably will be the case or may well be the case that Ireland is one of uh, 25 or 26 countries that does that on an intergovernmental basis. But I think it'd be much better if we do it as the European Union.
0: Can I ask you about the war in Gaza? Y- you, you've said that the government would like to recognise the state of Palestine as part of a group of EU countries. If that is not possible, would Ireland go ahead and do that on its own? I would much prefer us to see
1: uh, us recognise the state of Pal- Palestine um, as part of uh, a peace-building solution uh, and in concert with a number of other European countries and those discussions uh, are underway. I understand why people would like to see us do it unilaterally. I actually don't think that would be a successful um, decision. Um, It would be... um, Something that would make us feel better about ourselves, no doubt, uh, and would be denounced in Israel and welcomed in Palestine, but forgotten about within a few days. Whereas if we do it as a group of countries, then it has real significance. And what I hope we can get the situation in the next few weeks, uh, and I really hope this happens, uh, is a ceasefire in Gaza, an end to the violence, um, a new Palestinian authority being put in charge of Gaza. And I think if we as a group of a number of European countries, were then to recognise that new authority as a state uh, that puts them in a much stronger position uh, to uh, talk about long-term negotiations with Israel and a two-state solution. And that's where we want to be. It shouldn't be about um, an announcement that makes us feel good for a day or two um, or um, makes a statement on behalf of us as a country acting unilaterally. What would be much more effective and what would be much better for people for Palestinians, and that's what really matters here, uh, is for us to do that as a group of countries and that's what we're working towards in the context of the day after in Gaza, if that makes sense.
0: Has Ireland given any consideration to joining South Africa in uh, its case before the International Court of Justice, which accuses Israel of genocide? There have been calls for Ireland Mm. to join that case. Are, Are you going to? We don't intend to do so. Um, That case is going to be heard. Um, I believe
1: it may be heard as as soon as the 15th or 16th of January. And it'll be up to the International Court of Justice to make a determination in that regard. Um, I really think this is an area where we need to be uh, very careful. Um, What's happened in Gaza is appalling. Uh, Over 20,000 people. Killed, um, mostly innocent civilians, um, mostly women and children, uh, very possibly uh, war crimes committed um, both by Israel and Hamas uh, when it comes to uh, the events in the last few months. Uh, genocide is something very particular. Um, it is uh, defined as an attempt, a deliberate attempt uh, to destroy uh, an entire nation, an entire race, or to do so in large part. Um, and one group of people that has experienced that in the world uh, are Jewish people. Uh, the Holocaust, uh, six million Jews killed here in Europe um, and uh, Hitler had a plan to kill many millions more. Um, that is genocide. Uh, and of course, there have been other examples of genocide, such as the Armenian Genocide and what's happened to some indigenous people, for example, uh, uh, in the New World. We need to be very careful uh, about um, genocide uh, in that context.
0: Do you not think it's genocide in Gaza?
1: I think that's something that the International Court will now determine. Um, Bear in mind what Hamas did on the 7th of October. Uh, Hamas went into Israel, uh, killed 1400 people, um, took 200 hostages, killed 1400 people essentially because they were Israelis, because they were Jews, because they lived in Israel.
0: Uh, Was that not also genocide? Tishuk, before I let you go, I want to ask you just a, about uh, your own future. You said a number of years ago that um, uh, that you wouldn't be in politics after the age of 51. Now, I know I think uh, since then you may have changed your mind, but you, you will be 45, I think, this month. Um, That's right. If, if Fine Gael is is not in government after the next election, do you intend to stick around? I think Finnegan will be in government after the next election.
1: Um, our aim is to um, grow our support, uh, okay. to be roughly, roughly in, in the mid-20s in terms of um, support that will then allow us to
0: gain seats in the next election, which I think we will, by the way. Uh, and, All right, but uh, po- po- political leadership doesn't last forever. I mean, will, will, will the next general election be your last Look, you're, you're, I suppose you're, you're asking about a general election now in
1: 2029 or 2030 no, or, or this, whatever this, it would be. this
0: coming general election. This coming general election. Well, look, I'll be contesting
1: the next general election. Right. Um, one, one thing that, uh, you know, I do want to say, I, I am 21 years in politics. Um, I've been elected five times now by my community both to the council and to the Dáil. Uh, it is a privilege. It's something I'm very grateful for. Um, it's something that uh, I don't take for granted. Uh, and I'm continuing to work very hard in my job uh, as party leader, as constituency TD, uh, also as minister and also as Taoiseach.
0: Taoiseach and finnegan earlier, leader, Leo Bradker, Thank you for coming in to talk to us today. We're back with Bernard Gloucester from the HSE after this break.